two, one. Welcome back, everyone, to Yes, It's an Episode of the Steel Target Paint Podcast. Contrary to popular belief, Steve and I are still alive. Our computers work. <laughs> Although we are recording this at uh, 6.30 in the morning. Uh, that's about the only time that Steve and I have together uh, to uh, be able to spend uh, some time and talk about Steel Challenge and other shooting things. Steve? Uh, welcome back to the podcast. How you doing? What's going on, Jeff? I'm doing good. How are you? I am having a lot of fun, you know, uh, been able to get some shooting done, uh, still doing a lot of training, which, you know, I've got I've got one of my students. Uh, uh, Jasmine Lander is, I think, three and a half seconds away from GM and Rimfire Rifle Iron at 14. Oh. Heck yeah, that's awesome, man. You know, uh, her uh, younger brother, who is 11, just made master this weekend in uh, Rimfire Rifle Open. And, you know, you do a lot of training and, you know, it's great to go out and shoot well yourself and, you know, perform. But there's something to be said for watching people who you've helped and seeing them do well and it makes you feel really good yeah it really does jeff there's a whole different level of satisfaction gratification that, that comes with it for sure and i'm not going to mention ben dehamer is getting uh, schooled by jenna larson last week oh did i say <laughs> that out loud sorry ben yeah you know it's uh it's tough but you know you have you know like i said I've said this, people have heard this for me. I just want to be the fastest old guy. <laughs> <laughs> I can't get old soon enough, Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> and here's the, here's the best part. By the time you make senior, I just got to worry about Carl Sutherland and super senior. Well, of course, all the other fast seniors that'll make it up there. But yeah, uh, uh, it's... Um, I tell you, it's a, it's a fun time, honestly, in, uh, in steel challenge. I think there is, I think it's a great sport. Uh, you know, there's, uh, this is going to be a lead into one of our first topics, but there's been a lot of back and forth about, uh, you know, the, uh, what steel challenge is about and, you know, from different varying, uh, aspects, the cost of matches, the, oh, yeah. uh, you know, is, uh, is it, uh, is it an actual discipline, uh, worth shooting in USPSA? And I think the number of people who shoot it and the number of matches that are happening, uh, the answer would be a resounding yes. Um, you know, uh, I am very fortunate in that this month uh, I was just named the match director for our monthly match at the Wyoming Antelope Club. Oh, good for you, Jeff. Um, Dean Herrig has done an amazing job for the last 11 years of being wow. the match director. One of the and, nicest guys in the sport, for yes, sure. Yes, yes. Dean is a great dude. But uh, I think he uh, he sees it's his time to step down. I think, uh, uh, you know, I've been involved for the last five uh, and he he just saw that, you know, here was an opportunity for me to step down and know it's going to be run 
as well as it's been in the past. And, and that's my goal. You know, in fact, I was asked uh, by our discipline leader, you know, what do you need uh, for the match? And I said, as long as I've got the support of the ROs, I don't need anything. You know, it's always good for those of you out there that uh, are shooting this game uh, and are just showing up and paying and shooting. That's great. I've got nothing against you. But I tell you, to uh, see people come out a little early, help get stages set up, uh, help get the uh, the plates painted initially, uh, all that uh, little bit makes a difference. So uh, I'll just share that. But yeah. So, uh, and, and, you know, a lot of these topics are going into, uh, our first, uh, our first topic we're going to talk about today. And that is the special election process for the USPSA president. And, uh, I mean, unless you've been living under a rock or staying off Facebook, I'm sure everyone has seen some of the posts that are out there, uh, from, uh, some of the candidates, Steve, uh, do you live under a rock or have you seen some of these? Yeah, I've seen uh, I've seen a couple of them. Well, we're not going to call anybody out, but, you know, Steve and I have talked. And uh, for those that are listening uh, or for those that know uh, the USPSA president uh, uh, candidates, any of them, um, we are going to reach out to them and ask them to be on the podcast one at a time. Um, and allow them to speak their views, um, uh, maybe ask them some, you know, softball questions, let them hit it out of the park. Uh, but we may ask them some tough questions, too. Uh, there's been some interesting comments that have been made, and uh, we'd like to get to the bottom of them. Well, I think, Jeff, the, what has changed over the last even, I don't know, five or six years since uh, the previous president, was elected is the amount of participation and activity in steel challenge and listen to other podcasts. It's, it's very interesting from predominantly USPSA shooters. They recognize how big the faction or the group of steel challenge has grown and really could be a deciding factor in this upcoming election. And so it'd be interesting to see, um, you know, of all the candidates, you know, there's rumors and speculations out there. I, I, you know, it's like any other election, even the last presidential election. I'm sure there's, you know, 10 or 15 people that are going to put their name in their hat. And then some of them will fade, fade away. But it'll be interesting to see if there's a, you know, five or six or whoever's, uh, you know, as we get closer. We haven't even seen an announcement on the process yet. Well, there is a process, but when the date's going to be and those kind of things. But it'll be interesting to see who takes us up on our offer to come on the podcast and learn more about Steel Challenge. I don't think anybody in the Steel Challenge community is um, looks at somebody from USPSA differently because we're a very inclusive side of the sport. But um, I do think that there is an overwhelming um, body of Steel Challenge competitors that want to be heard. And I, I think for the most part, there's a lot of things in Steel Challenge that aren't broken. There's a lot of good things going on. There's a lot of excitement and a ton of growth. But the issue is going to be, um, you know, what, what's going to what's going to happen in the future and what needs to happen in the future. So we'll see. We'll see. Well, I'm glad you mentioned the growth. And, and I'm going to throw out three numbers, okay? 211, 
252 and 319. Now, those three numbers are the number of guns shot in the 2015, 16, and 17 World Speed Shooting Championships. Okay? Yeah. 211, 252, 319. The next four numbers are the next four years of the participant, the number of guns in the World Speed Shooting Championships. 638. 635, 630, and 637. Yeah. You can't tell me that over the last four years, at least when looking at the uh, World Speed Shooting Championships, the sport hasn't grown. Well, and I think the other thing is, Jeff, you know, in 2016 and 17, the match was out in California. Absolutely. Which I I think Kurt and Maria have done a fantastic job bringing back a level of excitement specifically to the area two match. But I would say that there's some reasons why those numbers have grown. There's a lot of shooters in the Southeast. You know, there's a lot of shooters all over the country, but in steel challenge, you know, there's a birthplace in California, but there's a ton of competitors and activity in the Southeast. So I think location may have a little bit to do with it. But the other thing that I will say, and we've talked about it before, maybe we'll talk to some, USPSA presidential candidates about it, but to sign up for the world speed shoot, you can't tell me that if there were more slots available on the prime days, Friday and Saturday, there wouldn't have been, you know, a hundred or 200 more guns. And so I think that oh, number could have been, believe, I believe you're absolutely right. right. I believe you're absolutely right. And you know, it's funny because um, I was talking with our good friend, Zach Jones and what I said was anybody who wants to shoot the world speed shooting championships without having any special consideration, I can guarantee them that they will get a slot in the match. Yeah. They will have to pay for it. I can guarantee that they'll be able to sign up just like everybody else and they will get a slot or two slots in the match. And it's real simple shoot on Thursday or Friday. Yeah. See, the problem is, is that everybody wants to shoot on Saturday and Sunday, which I mm-hmm. get. I yeah. totally get that. I have, I have nothing but that, but there are limited spots and yeah, it is a free for all. And, you know, I've heard people uh, there, you know, there were some rumblings on, Oh, they need to have, they need to give away slots at area matches. And the fact of the matter is there is a, pre-registration slotting process for the world speed shooting championships. Yeah. And in fact, I know you've had the opportunity to take advantage of that. Sure. And, and for those that don't know what that process is, is if you finish in the top 10 in a match at the world speed shooting championships. And for those who don't know, Uh, While there's 13 divisions, there's actually four different matches going on at a time. You have the centerfire match, which is called the main match. You have the PCC match. You have the rimfire rifle match, and you have the rimfire pistol match. Okay. If you come in the top 10, you have earned the right to register early for that gun. Technically, it's that division. Uh in the next world speed shooting championships. Yeah. Now 
the slots, the the uh, not the slots, the uh, squads are fixed. Yeah, you have to shoot them on a certain. You have to shoot them on a certain, certain day. Time. Yes, yep. Uh, yep. and yep. and part of that um, was, uh, I think, for the um, TV coverage. You know, uh, I, I'm not 100 percent sure in that, but you know, here it is. Uh, I've got, you know, uh, I've got the super squad of rimfire pistol open shooters, or I've got the super squad of uh, PCC shooters, uh, and they can set up their cameras and they can follow them throughout the match. So, um, for those that say there isn't a slot process for the World Speed Shooting Championships, there is. Is it the right one? I'm not going to pass judgment on that. Um, there's a, a big difference uh, when it comes to uh, comparing it to the USPSA and the area matches and the slotting process that goes along with that. And uh, I'm not going to go into that right now. So, and Jeff, one of the things that, and I can't help because we said we weren't going to talk too much about this, but I want to talk all about it. <laughs> it's what we do. <laughs> Well, well, you know, one of the things that you're talking about, if you're uh, if you're looking from uh, what needs to change, I, I've heard a lot of feedback, and this has been, you know, third-hand information. And I don't know John Scouting all that well, but we had a brief discussion at the last World Speed Shoot about um, TV coverage. And, you know, it, to expand upon that point just a little bit more, what has happened is there's certain competitors that, um, can sign up quickly that have finished in the top 10 that don't want to shoot on the super squad. I can make up some reasons and let's speculate just for a minute. There may be a little bit more added pressure if you're shooting with a squad of your peers that are yep. the top in the country. That may or may not be it, Jeff. Oh, you might, I, and, and okay, so that's that's a great point, but, but so, let's go so, the other but, way. Might be on the but, wrong but day. What, yeah, but what happens though is that if you're John Scouting, and uh, for shooting USA and you've got cameras set up and this and that, and you want to do some commentating and this and that, and somebody comes through on Thursday and just blows it down and ends up winning the match. They may not even be at the match because that's not when the super squads are shooting. And so all their footage is of second, third, fourth, fifth place. Yep. And so that, has happened so i wouldn't be surprised at some time i'm not saying this year because i don't i'm not on that inner circle in the uh, hierarchy in the uspsa but um i would venture to guess that it may not be optional if you want to like it, like in the old days it wasn't an option you got put on the super squad and that's where you shot and if you it wasn't a hey i don't I don't want to shoot on the super squad. Well, you don't shoot the match. So it'd be interesting because I, I think that there's a lot of things that are involved in, and all that. So it's not just a, Hey, I want to, you know, take pressure off myself and shoot with other, other folks. And I'm the same way. I, I love shooting with the super squad because I get an opportunity to see people from around the country that, you know, a lot of them are, are good friends. But I also love shooting with people that I've never met before, you know, because how do you how, how do you bring other people into the sport and those types of things? And how can you be a brand ambassador if you're always 
shooting with the same people over and over again. Um, Cause there's a lot of folks out there that go to the world speed shoot that, you know, that's filled with uh, C class or B class shooters. And this is their opportunity to shoot with, you know, somebody that may be in the, the top 10 on the top 20 list, you know, and be able to interact and ask some questions and, and those types of things. So I enjoy those types of discussions and squatting with people that I've never met before. Well, you know, my opinion and again, my opinion, uh, everybody can take it for what it's worth, is when you, uh, if you're going to the World Speeding Cha- Speed Shooting Championships to perform, uh, you may be better off shooting with people you don't know. Sure. And you stay focused for the match on what you're doing. And then when you're not shooting, yeah, you're down in... Uh, uh, vendor alley and hanging out with Brian and, and, uh, everybody down there and drinking a kind of gold and, and, uh, <laughs> doing all that, you know, but you do that yeah. when you're not shooting. Uh, and, and that's something that I've, I've done, but I want to touch on a point here because I think, I don't think they're ever going to come down to if you're going to shoot that gun, you have to shoot on this day. Okay. For the, for the super, for the squad super squad. Yes. Oh, I the think super that squad. I, that's the way that it used to be. And not based on what I've heard from the TV side of things, it would not surprise me if that went into place uh, so, this year or next year at, at all. It wouldn't surprise me at all. We'll, we'll see. We'll see. You know, I mean, that's, I think, I think that would cause some rancor, uh, in, in certain people's eyes in that it's like, wait, why can't I shoot my gun on the day I want to shoot it on? I hear what you're saying, you know, but- cause you're talking about, you know, there, I can tell you right now, uh, there might be, I think there was one, maybe two super squads on the weekend. One of them was definitely on a Friday. Um, yeah, I, I shot I shot a Friday and a Saturday, so PCC and Rimfire Rifle. Yeah, one was Friday afternoon, and the other one was Saturday morning, I believe. Which yeah. I, and, and from my personal preference, hey, if I'm going to shoot mornings, I'll shoot all mornings. If I shoot afternoons, I'll shoot all afternoons. Sure. Especially at a big match like that when you're shooting a handful of guns. But I, I don't think that, from my viewpoint, if USPSA said, Hey, this is how it's going to be. I think there'd be a handful of people that would want to complain about it, but it's not like they're telling you to come in on a Wednesday to shoot or Thursday to shoot. Right. I believe that all those four, I think, what is there? Four, Jeff, four super squads. I think they shoot yes. Friday and Saturday. I'm not sure if there's maybe the opens on Sunday morning. Yeah. I, I don't remember. We could go back and look again. I think a lot of people, um, I think a lot of people would 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 uh, well. Of course, there's a lot of people who would love to shoot on the super squad because they'd love to get their face on on, uh, on shooting yeah. USA uh, in you know in hopes of being in the background. Uh, I think there's one episode where the back of my jersey is actually in it because I was <laughs> rowing somebody. So you know that's that's my big claim to fame. <laughs> um, no, it'll be it'll be interesting to see what comes along. Yeah, um, it but will be. Um, so next topic, I saw it at the World Speeding Shoot Championships this year. Oh, oh my! And goodness. I saw it. 
on your Facebook page. I'm sorry. I wasn't trying to brag or anything like that. I wasn't trying to flex on the pores or anything like that, but oh my gosh, that thing is amazing. Tell us about the JP five. You know, it's, it's interesting. So um, I had the opportunity to write an article um, that's out in the current USBSA magazine, where I go into a little bit of a more of a high level overview of the history of, of the delayed roller uh, blowback system. A lot of people think that HK um, developed it, which is an inaccurate statement. I think most people know the MP5 is one of the most popular uh, guns that employs that system, but it was actually the Mauser engineers that developed the system. Um, it, it's, it's pretty interesting. Um, so a high level, the gun is being offered in uh, three different configurations through JP. It's more of a utility type one and then a tactical kind of duty gun. And then there's a called a steel challenge um, type gun. And, and really the big difference amongst them is the steel challenge gun has the M lock handguard, which is a couple ounces. It's a, it's a couple ounces lighter than the traditional JP handguard. Uh, the other two variations have different, uh, muzzle brakes but outside of that they're you know the different finish ones uh, more of a steel finish the other one's a, a black finished barrel and that kind of thing but the steel challenge version which most people i think are ordering um has the m-lock handguard it's got the 14 and a half inch uh pin and weld you know it's got a a um a, a, a small contour barrel and it's got a titanium um compensator that's pin and welded onto the gun it's uh, it only comes in a curved trigger, so um, I'm sending mine back to get a get a straight trigger put in into that. But they, I'm not sure if this is official or unofficial, but I've heard that JP offered 500 of these for sale for the pre-order. That was their target, and and certainly they hit that target. Uh, the MSRP is right around 32, 3300 dollars, and that uh, that has been a source of discussion from people. Um, you know, some people think that that's a pretty lofty price point. And I would say that it's, um, it, it is certainly up there. I think the base GMR 15 is right around that $1,700, maybe 1699, $1,799. Um, but it is, I think it's a game changer in the shooting sports. I mean, you know, there's a lot of, I wouldn't say complexity because you've got with the GMR 15, if you short have a short stroke SCS, which is silent capture system, your recoil system, you got a five weight setup. I'd run 135 grain PNR ammo going about 850 feet per second out of my ultra lightweight barrel, which is, I believe it's a five and a half inch pin and welded. Um, but what happens is you need that additional weight to really absorb in, in, you know, take some of the dot bounce out and that recoil sensation, making a softer shooting gun. And I think that there's two weights in the SCS in the, uh, in the JP five, but you know, it's kind of like one of those who cares. I think there's two stainless steel ones in there, but really where the magic is, is in that delayed roller blowback. So I, I, I put some uh, pictures up online in preparation of this podcast today, last night, so if you look at the bolt of the GMR-15, it's 13.3 ounces. 
and the bolt of the JP5 is 7.4. So it's a 44% reduction in the total mass of the bolt. And what's interesting, when Dustin with JP was at the World Speed Shoot, and we were messing around uh, putting these different locks, or I call them lockers, but they're, um, they're pieces, and I'll, I'll explain that here in just a second. But once you put those put those in and kind of tune it to your ammo or find the right one for your ammo. It is literally one of the softest shooting guns I've ever shot. It's the softest shooting and I've shot a full auto MP5. Um, it was one of the softest shooting nine millimeters I've ever shot, whether pistol or rifle or, or what have you. But what happens is the bolt is really a two piece bolt. Or at least that's what I'm calling it. And it's easy to change these locks. All you do is you take the front of the bolt and you twist it and then it comes apart and inside there you've got this locking piece. And what it does is there's different angles for the roller. So what happens is the delayed part of the blowback is you pull the trigger and the bolt will, the front of the bolt will move about an eighth of an inch or so. And uh, the rollers, there's two rollers on either side of the front part of the bolt. And they're inside the, the gun, and they rest in a groove inside the uh, inside the upper. And as soon as that bolt moves back about an eighth of an inch, it forces both the rollers out to the sides to put pressure to delay the bolt from moving. And then this locking piece measures up to, and it engages in the side of those two rollers. And that's what dictates how much pressure or how much time based on the degree or the angle of the locking piece before it opens up. And so essentially what happens is, is a lot of the recoil impulse is absorbed because the bolt stays locked or semi-locked and then it opens up and it breaks free and it rolls very easily afterwards. So what happens is, is that I've got the 90 locking piece and I'm waiting on the 70 because the 70 is the one that is just absolutely matches the pnr ammo that i shoot it makes it so 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 soft but even with the 90 that's in there it certainly recoils less than my gmr 15 and that you know i've done hours of testing with different springs and different weights it it recoils softer than that but what happens is is that even with such a light load it's 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 throwing the brass probably eight or nine feet maybe even 10 feet Whereas with my DMR-15, you know, it's got more of the weight behind the bolt, and that's what uh, tames the impulse, uh, the recoil impulse. Uh, you know, that's probably throwing the loads or the spent casings maybe two to three feet because we want to take it about as much out of there as possible to keep the gun flat and manage the recoil impulse. But one other last point that I'll stop is the having the bolt as light as what it is it feels so fast it's not even funny so you've got two things going on from a sensory perspective you've got you've got a light uh, recoil impulse and then it feels fast because the bolt is almost you know it's 44 percent less uh, reciprocating mass and so those two combinations of things i mean it, it <laughs> it's still weird to shoot it because you know I've, i put tens if not hundreds of thousands of rounds through my other jps my gmr 13 i've got one of those my handful of 15s now this jp5 and it is every time you pull the trigger it's like yeah i'm shooting a nine millimeter right 
But, um, yeah, it is so smooth and it's so flat. So, it, it, and I posted, somebody said, well, you know, that's a lot of money. I said, look, guys, all you got to do with the boss lady is do some gun math on her and tell her that you're going to sell one or two other guns. And then, you know, that's going to be the difference of this one. It'll be the best investment that you make. I, I think it's 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 absolutely hands down a no-brainer. And it will be interesting to see. There's some good people that are shooting uh, PCC Nationals, USPSA here. Uh, I think it's next month. And some are going to be running the JP5. I wonder if it'll be enough to dethrone our friend uh, in front of the podcast. Mr. Leon Grandis, yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It'll, it'll be interesting. It'll be interesting. Well, let me ask you this, because, you know, you uh, one of the things that I know uh, a lot of people uh, are going towards in their guns and you see it all the time and you even did it with a bolt is, you know, the weight. Yeah, the weight of the gun. Now, this this gun they've taken, it, it's the first of all, tell us about. Do you do you have an overall weight comparison, say, between the GMR-15 lightweight and the JP-5? So that's a great question. The, I, I did throw the JP-5 on a scale, and it is 5 pounds and 10 ounces. And I'll get back to the, the your, your question specifically. But that 5 pounds and 10 ounces, you're going to take off at least 6 ounces maybe, somewhere in there, maybe seven ounces by moving, moving to the ultra lightweight barrel. And unfortunately that's going to take probably, Oh, I'm going to guess close to a year. Maybe it's nine months. I was actually truth be told the gun that I was waiting on. Um, and I didn't get one of the first couple because they were working on, um, the barrel for me, but because of how busy JP is, it got pushed down the list. So I said, hey, you know what? Send me the 14 and a half. Um, but that's going to save you six, seven, eight ounces right there. So instead of a five-pound, 10-ounce gun, now you're a five-pound, two-ounce gun. Yep. And, you know, I, I've seen pictures and all this kind of stuff. Well, I got a four-pound, 10-ounce PCC. Oh, okay. But it's not just the weight. It's where the weight is. And yeah, the 14 and a half, the 14 and a half inch definitely balances pretty well. Um, a lot better than a 16 inch gun. Cause I've got one of those too. Um, but it's not as it doesn't transition for me as fast as the ultra lightweight and the GMR 15, my GMR 15. So I've got uh, a couple of them. I've got one with the billet uh, upper that's got the side charging handle. And that actually adds, I think four to six ounces to the weight of the gun. Yeah. Um, but it's all kind of in the right place. So that gun's probably six pounds, four ounces, five ounces. But my other uh, GMR 15 with the ultra lightweight, I think is just under um, six pounds itself. I think it's, you know, without an optic, it's probably, you know, in that five, eight range somewhere in there. The, the other you place touched, you touched on my lead in, which was, and you answered it perfectly, which was, you know, are they going to be offering a, version of the jp5 with a lightweight barrel the answer is yes, yes. Uh, and my guess is due to all these changes it's not that that barrel is going to be redesigned there'll be a jp5 lightweight barrel it won't just be any lightweight barrel a hundred percent and i get this question all the time 
is are the components interchangeable between the GMR 15 and the JP five? Um, a lot of them, yes. The main parts, no. Yeah. So the handguard, the grip, the trigger, buttstock, uh, even the lower, yes, they're all interchangeable. Where the magic is, is in the upper, yep. in the bolts, in the barrel. So all three of those components are specific to the JP5. You know, it's like, oh, man, I wish they would have made the, you know, the, the barrel interchangeable between the two. Yeah. But I'm telling you what, <laughs> someone told me a long time ago that things come to those that wait, Jeff. You know, so it's uh, it's 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 pretty nice. Well, you know, we've talked about it um, with regards to PCCs um, and, you know, a lot of people are putting together their own. And I think that's great. You know, I like a hyperfire trigger. I like the. Uh, what is it uh, square circle 10 or whatever it is or square deal b no wait that's a loader <laughs> quarter i like circle 10. i like yeah quarter circle 10 thank you uh i like that i like that lower i like this upper i like the uh i like this hand guard um and that's wonderful and you know i'm not disparaging them at all but they're kind of referred to as lego pccs because you're taking all yeah. these different parts and putting them together and i think that's great um for me the one thing that i've always uh been impressed about at jp is outside of maybe the buffer tube the hand grip not the hand guard but the hand grip and the buttstock they build everything Right. So everything is up to their quality. And, you know, I've got a 15 and I've got a lightweight 15 and uh, definitely haven't shot as much as you have, but I've shot them enough. And, you know, they're still tight, as tight as they were, meaning nothing rattles, everything fits together as they were day one. Right. You know, so, uh, well, that's really cool. Uh, I think a lot of people are looking forward to it. Uh, and, uh, yeah, it would be interesting to find out who at, uh, at nationals is actually shooting the JP five Dustin, if you're listening, tell us, uh, so we can follow them and see how they're going to do with that gun. Well, I think, uh, a friend of the podcast, Corey K out of Texas, he's, uh, listened to him on behind the lens with, uh, Brian Con Conley of Hunter's HD gold. He, uh, he's talking about, he's running a JP five and. He says he's ready. So, excellent. Well, you know what? I'm glad you said what you just said. If you're ready, <laughs> yeah. I'm glad you said what yeah. you just said because, um, for those that aren't um, in the know or uh, online as much, um, Brian has started a podcast called Behind the Lens. Um, I've listened to about half the episodes. Um, extremely informative. Uh, he's talking with with people. He's talked with Jake Martins. He's talked with. Uh, Troy McManus. Uh, he's talked with Corey. Uh, and uh, it's just another great podcast to listen to. So if you get a chance, uh, look for uh, Behind the Lens. Uh, uh, love to give Brian as many props as we can. Uh, he's a great friend of ours, a great friend of the podcast. He's been on a number of times. And, you know, to this day, I still think he's got the best marketing plan ever for a product. You know, Jeff, he goes. He go, goes to the range and it's like, 
people are like, oh, these are cool. Oh, wow, they fit. And he's like, take them. Go. Go shoot. Come back later. I will say real quick about Brian's podcast. I've listened to them all because I've got a bit of a commute every day. Um, I've learned more about how USPSA works. Yep. Listen to a handful of podcasts that I've learned in the years I've been shooting the sport. Mm-hmm. So I think that, I mean, I think that there's a lot of misperceptions out there. But if you listen to one of his podcasts, listen to the Troy McManus uh, podcast. Very, very interesting of how how things work in USPSA and how rules. And, you know, Troy's not the bad guy about making these rules about, you know, whatever your opinion is about the flashlights and all those kind of things. His job is, is to interpret and enforce those rules. So I thought that was probably one of the most interesting podcasts I've listened to in a very, very long time. Well, it. It, in fact, after I watched it, I texted both Troy and Brian and just said, great podcast, really informative. Um, it, it, I mean, I've always got, res- I've always had respect for Troy, but it brought a new level of respect in, in understanding how long he's actually been involved with oh, yeah. the sport. Um, yeah, he's, he's talking about 1980. So I was like, you know, how old I am? <laughs> sorry, Troy. Um, but, you know, I think the biggest takeaway that people should understand is Troy doesn't make the rules. Mike doesn't Mike the past president. So we'll just say the, whoever the president is, the president doesn't make the rules. Right. Okay. Uh, Other DNROI staff doesn't make the rules. And in fact, the board doesn't make the rules. What happens is rule changes are submitted and then there's a vote. They talk about it and there's a vote. And so if something changes uh, in the USPSA that was voted on from, we'll just, you know, let's just open the can of worms right now. Rule changes, oh, <laughs> rule changes oh, new guns, uh, gun accoutrements, and or um, uh, suspensions or bans from the organization, those are board level voted upon things. Right. So there are eight area directors and the president that make up the board. So a board of nine people voted on the issue. And I think some of them pass with a simple majority uh, and some of them have to pass at 75% based on what type it is. So for everyone listening, just keep that in mind. For those that said, you know, uh, why did Troy allow flashlights and carry optics? He didn't. He didn't allow it. He has to enforce that rule now as the director of the NROI. But the reason that got put into place was because the board voted and that new gun addition or, you know, accessory addition uh, after it was submitted was, was voted on and passed by the board. So we know what Steve, there's another thing I'd like to talk about. And he's, All right, a good, hit me with it. he's a good friend of mine. He's a good friend of yours. I mean, I've only met him once, but I consider him a friend. 
Um, if you multiply his age by <laughs> by four, okay, by four, he's still younger than me. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, and uh, I'm talking about Kenny Nagata. Oh okay. yeah, Kenny, he's a beast. He posted what I think was the best way to post your shooting accomplishments on Facebook. Okay. And while I'm impressed with uh, his shooting prowess uh, after meeting him and watching him shoot, uh, how could you not be? Um, But I even posted on the Facebook post that I appreciated what he did. And what he did was he's of course running practice score with an AMG labs timer. And so he's able to, record his splits but he showed the um the times of each stage and the splits that he shot Mm -hmm. and you know as someone who trains people and i i can't believe you don't do the same thing meaning i believe you do is that you know you you will focus on people's splits based on the stage based on the the plates they happen to be shooting at to squeeze out and help them understand that this is where you can get back a lot of time or you can, you know, not, not spend a lot of time. The classic one is for me is, uh, moving from plate two to plate four in accelerator. Mm -hmm. It's a big swing. You got to snap over there. Um, and so just listen to these numbers and this is crazy. The first five, four strings, were five shot strings and he's shooting showdown. Uh, and I know you've seen it, but I'm going to re- read it off for the, for the listeners. He shoots a 121, a 122, another 122, and then a 123. So now, you know, he's thinking, okay, I've got four in the bag. I'm going to go for it. His last string was a six shot string at 124. I think he needs to work on his consistency a little yeah, bit. Yeah, you know, I mean, you know, like a 13-year-old kid, he's his brain's nah, he's, probably into cars and girls. No, he's he's 14 now. He's, oh, 14, he's 14 now. now. Yeah, okay, yeah. so wait, 14, 20. Nope. I'm still older nope. than him. <laughs> that is funny. But yeah, so and and here's here's why I bring it up. And for those that uh, uh, are on Facebook. Uh, go on there. Uh, he goes by Kenny nag, um, on Facebook. Um, this is, this is really important for those that are wanting to get better and understanding, you know, uh, how to analyze your shooting prowess while yes, it's, um, you know, the game is how fast can you get to the last plate? Uh, but you get there by getting fast to all the other plates. Um, and now we're talking showdown here. His, his draws were between 0.47 and 0.5. Okay. Um, his splits to the first plate ranged from 0.12 to 0.14. Um, I have the video here and I'm not going to play it. I'm not sure if he's shooting it straight across or if he's going uh, from plate one to plate four and then back, do you remember? 
I don't. I think he's going straight across. But okay, so if he's let's let's uh, let's just say he's going straight across for now. His split to his third shot um, was a uh, three of them were at twenty two, one at twenty three, one at twenty six. Um, his fourth shot was again right in that uh, two tenths range. Um, you know, twenty two, twenty three, and then somewhere between fourteen and eighteen uh, hundredths of a second to his last shot. Um, right. and you know, I love watching Kenny shoot because like Rob Latham, he slaps the hell out of the trigger and he breaks that stigma. You know, like we talked about it, we were talking about heavy guns and lighter guns and, you know, Colby Pavlock broke that stigma of you've got to have a light gun to shoot fast. When he shows up with this eight pound behemoth. And is that all it was? <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, it, you know, oh, by the way, props out to Colby, uh, third place in the uh, ICOR National Championships. It's the gun. I, I told you. Man, <laughs> yeah, that's I right. That, I was wondering, some- was, was, was that, was that 929 uh, originally part of the, uh, the, the Foster clan? Maybe it was, maybe it wasn't. It's got some good juju on it, though. I'm just saying, man. But yeah, he's uh, yeah, he's, it's like a duck, duck to water with that thing. Yeah, Colby's, that's great. Colby's just a great kid and a great shooter. Um, and you know, you can't you can't deny that. You know, I think uh, I think if you were to take any of the top shooters in in many of the disciplines, and they took the opportunity to. Uh, shoot some of the other divisions you'd probably find the cream of the crop would still float to the top oh yeah for sure for sure but it's also interesting about the whole kenny thing is you know i've been pretty fortunate that i i've had the opportunity to write um more than a couple of articles for usps magazine you know let's go back to the cunningham sisters you know bridget and emily and then you've got uh Chris, which was the first person to break 60 seconds. You got Greg Kunkel, which was the second person to break 60 seconds. Of course, all of his achievements that he had in this past, you know, world speed shoot. Um, everybody that I'm talking about is a multi-world uh, champion. And then uh, Kenny Nagata. Um, what I tried to capture, you know, more from a shooter's perspective is what does it really take to be at that level and um, in the recent article, and I appreciate those of you that have shared your feedback with me, it was, it was a pleasure to sit down with Kenny and, and talk to him about, you know, where does he grow up from and, you know, how did he get into shooting sports? And, you know, uh, Ichi, his, his father, is uh, an amazing, amazing handgun shooter. I think he's been shooting Bianchi Cup for 35 years and, you know, he's trained um, some of the uh, elite uh, military folks, and he's just, he's amazing. But the time and dedication of what these folks do, I mean, Kenny, you know, read the article. Kenny talks about how much time he spends every day, either in-person shooting or dry firing. And, you know, if you want to be as fast as Kenny, and he's come a long way in the last, let's just say the last 12 months since we've picked him up on uh, still target paying shooting team in 12 months he's gone from really good to i mean the best out there one of the best out there yep. you know he shot a 52 and some change here 
at a local match, uh, I don't know, probably six, eight weeks ago. 52 and some change. Mm-hmm. He's throwing up some, you know, quite a few 55s, and there's a, he snuck a 53 in there. But you know what's interesting? As soon as he went to a Wyland chassis and a Magnum Research gun, that's when he started shooting 52s and 53s. Had nothing to do with the hours every day of training. But <laughs> I just thought of Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Steve, completely. stop. Stop. You're, <laughs> you're going to tell, you're telling everybody now that you can buy your game. Okay. Jeff, it's a fact. As soon as he got the Wyland chassis and the Magnum Research gun, it's a fact. Okay, now wait a minute. We're we're having the <laughs> podcast this morning, and the sun's coming up. So therefore, the sun came up because we're talking on a podcast. It's a fact, <laughs> Jeff. Jeff, I don't want to hear any more of that logic nonsense. <laughs> oh, that's funny. No, there's no doubt. Again, you know, here prior or, 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 or contrary to popular belief, uh, you can't buy your game. You can buy a, um, you can buy quality. Okay. And Steve, you and I had discussion <laughs> the other day about the JP five. Okay. Yes. Offline. I called Steve and we were just, you know, uh, bowling on the phone and, you know, and I said, this seems like an, an amazing gun. I said, I think it's going to make, it could make a big difference in Steve shooting. I don't know how much of a difference it would make in mine. And, and that's because Steve is at that level where he's squeezing out every little piece that he can to make his shooting faster, where I'm squeezing every bit I can just to stay as fast as I've been. Um, and, and that's okay. You know, I mean, I, I definitely don't shoot as much as I used to, uh, and, and, you know, that really has to do with everything that's happened over the last 18 months. Um, and I'm getting back into it. The point is, is that you can buy quality and yeah, in the case of, of, of the changes that Kenny made, especially, I don't know what he was shooting before, but you know, he could have dropped at least, you know, uh, a pound, maybe a pound and a half from his gun. And for, what he's shooting and let's face it you get about a 15 pound gun and that's about 20 percent of what the kid weighs okay <laughs> that's true he Sorry, was actually Kenny, shooting but, like you he know was actually shooting like a 1982 ruger uh yeah it's crazy yeah it's you know crazy I, I i'm looking at a picture here and i'm going um i don't know if i could get my leg into one of his pants because <laughs> It's just a rail. Um, he is too. But um, and Kenny, you know, you know, I think the best. I think the world of you if you're listening. And uh, and again, thank you for making these posts because uh, it's inspiring. It's inspiring. Um. So yeah, it's um. I, I think you can. I think you can. You can buy quality. Uh. But you got to put the time in. You know. And right. you know, I'll go back to something I've been saying since day one of doing any kind of training and it's something that I aspire to and others may not say it top shooters may not say it, but it's true. And that is one of the, one of my major two rules is of course I tell everybody grip the gun. Okay. And go one for one. And 
because misses cost. Even here, here's a good example. His last string at 124 was a six shot string. I'm not sure which one was the makeup, but let's just say uh, he, he missed the stop plate uh, and uh, that added 0.14. Had he been on the stop plate, that was going to be a 110. Okay. Yeah, that's crazy. So at every level, it's going to cost you. For Kenny, his misses don't cost him as much. I don't think I've ever made a 0.14 makeup in my life. You know, <laughs> it, you know, yeah. it, you know, for me, it's like bang, miss, register the miss, check the plate out, make sure there isn't a miss that. Oh, no. Okay. Pull the trigger again. Yeah, it's, it's really that visual and mental processing yeah. that's um, – and I do think that there there are top-level competitors that are, you know, over the age of 21 that can process that information that quickly. Yep. But, uh, you know, shooting with my man Chris Barrett, the first time that, you know, he came over and we were shooting at my house, he had – I've shared this story. He had a yeah. – I don't know, was it a 132 or something like that? No, a 141 on showdown three, four years, three years ago. I, I don't know. It's been a while. And he had a makeup on the back right plate and the split was 0.14 seconds. Yep. That's when I told his dad, I said, you know, this kid keeps at this. It could be something special mm-hmm. because, you know, I, I think that doesn't come naturally to a lot of people, especially us older guys. It, <laughs> they start to slow down a little bit, Jeff. But it, it's being able to visually recognize that and be in the shooting moment to understand that you squeeze the trigger just before you got to the plate and to, to touch it off again and have the physical ability to do it that quickly. Um, you know, that's one thing that Max Legrandus does better, I think, than anybody in the world with the PCC. You know, he can double tap plates or targets faster than anybody mm-hmm. or – be that quick you know what i mean consistently well you know and i think the big thing you you pointed out there and i agree wholeheartedly is the visual perception that you've either hit or not hit a plate right um and the ability to process that or the ability to recognize that you're on target pull the trigger and move okay Uh, and I think that's where a, a lot of people don't realize they're spending a lot of time is that they may be moving to a plate uh, at a good pace for them. Again, this is right. this is the wonderful thing. This is why I love this sport is that you can go out. Steve, you've had it happen to you. I've had it happen to me. You go out and you shoot the absolute best match you've ever shot. And you don't win. Because yeah. somebody shot better yeah. and there's oh, yeah, nothing sure. wrong with that because you, you got to take away from that, that you shot the best. And so what I think a lot of people don't realize is, is that while you think, um, you know, I call it that people call it different things. I call it gliding. Okay. And, and I really want to get a high speed camera on Kenny, on Grant, on Chris, on you and show people that, for the most part, maybe not smoke and hope, maybe not the second plate on accelerator. You're stopping on every plate. The yeah, there's gun, a slight hesitation. Yeah, for sure. But there's there is a there is a 
I, I think there is an actual stop that there's that because of the consistency you guys shoot it at that you're if you're actually now tr- tr- trust me if I'm wrong I'll, I'll admit it but if you're able to continually move that gun on a consistent basis and not stop the gun and pull the trigger and continue to hit plates that's amazing but I believe well that well I would stopped. say that plate two on accelerator I haven't stopped on that plate in a long time <laughs> oh no and that's what I said plate two on accelerator yeah. the, you know the front four plates on smoke and hope although you know, from a, uh, just a, a physics perspective, you have to stop on the outside plates because your next directional move is in the opposite direction. So the gun's got to stop. Um, you probably are driving by, uh, you know, uh, the inner plates, plates two and three, but you know, on a, uh, did you happen to see um, Lance Bratcher's video of his five to go at East Coast? I did. I did. He shot it really well. 650 somewhere in there, wasn't it? Yep. Shot a really good one. And you can see it there. He's moving fast, but he is stopping on every plate. He's not just drive by it. Um, yeah. And an amazing snap to the stop plate. Sure. For sure. You know, which is, again... Um, you know, I know for myself, you know, it, listen, if Kenny and I got on a, got on a, on a, uh, uh, track, he's probably going to beat me in an all out sprint. Oh yeah. Okay. Cause he's young. He's got good legs. Um, he's light, you know, there are going to be people who just are physically more adept at doing something. And in this game, it's, you know, fast switch muscles, it's, it's good eyesight, and it's a trust in yourself. And I think that's probably yep. the biggest one, you know, yep. that, and, and the ability to shake off. I have seen Grant completely trash a stage based on how well he shoots. And he doesn't show, I mean, he might be feeling it inside, but he walks off and he's like, eh, yeah, didn't shoot that that well. Oh, well, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, um, and, and, but that's what you got to do. It's a, yep. it's a, it's a, it's an entire match. It's not one stage. Yep. So well, Listen, Jeff, I think thing, a, go, ahead. go ahead. I was just going to say, I think we had a good conversation today, man. It was good talking with you this morning. Absolutely. Yeah. We're going to, I was just about to say, let's wrap this up. Um, uh, Steve and I are going to make a concerted effort to get these out a little more. Hope you like them. Uh, hope you didn't miss us too much. And, uh, I look forward to seeing you at a match, Steve. All right. Looking forward to it, Jeff. We'll see you soon, brother. All right. Bye everybody.